Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 164. This episode is from our three-part special from that conference in Wisconsin Dells. This episode of the MS Dev Show is brought to you by Aspose, the market leader of .NET and Java APIs for file business formats. Natively work with DocX, XSLX, PPT, PDF, MSG, MPP, image formats, and many more. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications. Check it out today at raygun.com. Carl. That conference. We're here. Yeah. <laughs> We're here again. Third yeah. year in a row. That's awesome. Yep. And we have some really bad news as well. Yeah, so, we do. Unfortunately, you've, you're going to be losing your MVP status. And, and it's because I've been making some some decisions. Yeah. I don't know if they're good or bad or not. but <laughs> Some people would say bad decisions. Some people would say bad decisions. And you're about to come clean. So yes. What's going on? So I, I am losing my MVP because I am joining Microsoft. And you cannot be both an MVP <laughs> and work for Microsoft at the same time. Exactly. So now the, people are just going to think the whole show is, you know, shilling for Microsoft. So. <laughs> but No, and, and that's one of the things that, like, you know, we, we've explained a few times, but, you know, it, it might be worthwhile explaining again. I mean, this is something me and you do during our free time. Yep. Uh, we have full creative control. Nobody tells us what to say or who to talk to mm-hmm. except for us. Yep. And we tend to call it as we see it. I mean, we'll bash Microsoft when, when they deserve yep. it. And, and, what's, and also, you guys hold us accountable as well. I mean, uh, we did get that feedback a few weeks ago that says we weren't hard enough on our guests, and we, we're taking that to heart. So if there's something you guys want to see, this is as much for you as it is for us. Yep. So we hope uh, that you like the, uh, the cast of guests that we have lined up. A lot of them were speakers. And uh, we hope that you in, enjoy the content that we put together for you. Uh, right now we're talking to Abay Guayambade, and I murdered that, so I, this is <laughs> my, my first pass. We're going we're gonna to stick with that. Um, you're an architect uh, at, uh, at Emergent Tech, and you said you're a consultant. Yes. And uh, you gave a talk today about uh, automobile tech, uh, in particular uh, Apples and Android. Uh, you know, so where, where did you start with that? You know, what is this... Uh, car stuff. What's, what's I, the deal? Because I, I, I mean, I, I'm a consultant too, but I mean, I'm in enterprise stuff. So to me, car stuff that sounds awesome, and I can think of all sorts of cool things, but I don't know any of that stuff whatsoever. So, well, what kind of platforms are these? Okay, so as first technology and how I got into it was I started off back in. I've been a Microsoft baby for a long time, so doing a lot of .NET, instead back out with class KSP, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, went into VB.NET, went into .NET. Um, along the whole career, I got a chance to work at General Motors in Atlanta. They have a center for .NET excellence. And a lot of that was working with car systems and car data. So, for example, the Cadillac Q system, which is the whole touch interface, we got exposed to a lot of how those systems work, what kind of data they can retrieve from there. So I was quite intrigued not only on how those systems work, but I was also intrigued by the UI in them. Mm-hmm. Right, because if you have like a Ford vehicle, they have a, their blue look, and some of the old Chrysler, if you've been around, they had the red dashboards and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was curious how they mitigate those issues. Like, how do you design for UI that's going to change not only from manufacturer to manufacturer, but also how do you even design when two years later they're going to do a refresh on that vehicle and then everything's going to change again, you know, kind of thing. And from architecture standpoint, that really got my attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been a big sci fi fan, so of course. You know, the Okuda Grams on Star Trek had that whole kind of feel to it. I'm a big Iron Man. So everything to his, everything's a UI on the whole Java system. <laughs> yeah. right? So I was curious how I can get those things and get cars and to work. And because of that, I get into a little bit on the Android Auto and Apple CarPlay because it allows you to use the car as a second screen for your already existing app. Okay. You know, so I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. So you get more of a native usability, native UI to help kind of manage that learning curve on that. Um, and then along the way, uh, I got invited to a Ford developer conference in Las Vegas, which was a 48-hour hackathon, you know. Mm-hmm. And at, uh, at my age, that's a bad thing. You know? <laughs> you know, just one of those things, you know. I was not ready to be up for 48 hours straight. It's not healthy for anybody. No, <laughs> it is not. And they give you a lot of sugar to help you out. But it was just, woo, it was something. Um, but there... Uh, is where I really learned that not only was Apple CarPlay and Adorado really taking off with the manufacturers, but it had a lot of limitations. Um, most of it was just pumping the UI. You couldn't really read anything out of the vehicle. 
Well, you, actually, can can we take a step back? Because I I kind of want to I want to level set. Okay. Because you know one thing that I've seen in vehicles is like the the in vehicle system is always way behind. And my understanding is always that they they kind of it's it's kind of like uh, with NASA, right? They have to they have to lock in like which camera they're using, mm-hmm. and then like that gets locked in like four years ago, and then they design a car around all these systems. Mm-hmm. So everything is always just it's just terrible. Always uh, has been my experience. Like I now I'm just happy to have like Bluetooth, you know? Like, <laughs> just, just give me my Bluetooth and, and I'm good to go. So yeah. historically it's been terrible. So now it sounds like now we're kind of up to where you were talking about. Um, so it seems like the approach that they took was like, okay, well, technology keeps changing, and we don't we don't want to be like DOA, so um, we'll just mirror a screen. And it sounds like that's how those technologies work. So I guess resume. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're correct. And it's still the same problem in cars. That hasn't yeah. changed. Um, as you know, it's quite complex to completely come up with a brand new vehicle, yeah. you know, other than mm-hmm. a simple refresh. And they have to kind of do a lot of forecasting what's going to come out. So you're correct. A lot of it is between four to five years behind because they kind of assume what's going to be the next technology. Yeah. The cool thing about Android, uh, Android Auto or Apple CarPlay was because the manufacturers, they didn't have to do much. You know, it's going to be your phone trying to push the screen. Yeah. So if they can give you a tethered USB connection or work through Bluetooth, that could give you a very minimal product that makes you look like, oh, I'm really ahead of technology. Mm-hmm. And then next year, they got to do is switch up a little bit. Um, to give you an example, if you had a 2015 Ford Mustang, uh, you had Windows embedded. I actually do. Oh, okay. Yeah. There you go. Okay. So you have Windows embedded <laughs> yes. in the sync system, right? I have a 2016 Mustang, uh, right? Oh. So I have the sync 3, right? <laughs> yeah. And no, that I, I'm, I'm very well aware that yeah. they switched on you know, from sync 2 to sync three yes yeah so that was a big change for a lot of people it's like what i can't do that right and of mm-hmm. course they switched to a linux based operating system rather than windows embedded kind of thing but even that as well as it worked if you didn't have a 2017 with the same thing three you couldn't do carplay yeah you know apple carplay because the usb hubs were obsolete so you have to order another us hub and get an update to do it which i've done on my car you know kind of thing so you, they're still kind of trying to gauge ahead um and part of the stuff that i was presenting tomorrow this morning is how manufacturers have said okay that is too too tremulous let's try to get something else yeah. you know um and now they're actually trying to do the uh i guess the what do you, what do you call it linux operating system for the car with the Linux operating system, and they're going with Genevi, which is one of the companies that handles that. So they completely came up with a different version of Linux that's going to be working in all these vehicles yeah. at the same time. So then it's not an issue of, you know, Ford's design is maybe four or five years trying to go this way, Toyota's trying to go that way, and they're hoping that other third-party technologies will help. They're coming together as a consortium. So right now it's really Ford and Toyota really pushing it. Yeah. Um, but there's still a marketing issue. You know, Toyota doesn't want to say they're using Ford technologies and Ford doesn't say they're using Toyota technologies because everyone wants to have their branding, you know. Yeah. Um, but as you know, I have a 2016 Mustang. I have the EcoBoost, yep. right? Nobody knows. That's a Mazda engine, right? But if you buy a Ford, you're not expecting to have a Mazda yep. engine in it kind of thing. But it was the best solution. From an architecture standpoint, you choose the best solution for what it is. Um, but it helps with them when they're developing these kind of technologies to eventually come together and say, let's work together. So... Some of the car VRs with stuff like CarPlay is being fixed by, by the sync systems like they're developing, yeah. which, of course, that is really smart device link that Ford took and put the uplink and sync interface on top of it. Yeah. But now since they use the same thing as Toyota, you can write an app that will work mm-hmm. with both, but now you can actually get vehicle data you know, out of it rather than just um, being able to display your screen on it. You know, if you're using Android Auto, you can display a screen, but you can't read anything from the vehicle. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of thing. So, which limits what your application? Yeah. Can do. Okay. My head is spinning now, so you got to help yeah. me here. So, maybe the best way to to, to look at this, because it, it seems like we're in the middle of this transition, and stuff is actually kind of a mess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so really, like, I, I, it's funny because like the the navigation systems like started getting they started getting better in the car, and you know, again, because the the tech is old, so. You know, then I then I switch over my phone and I'm like, I don't want any of this stuff. I have a giant screen, you know, just like you do. And I actually use it for pretty much nothing other than like changing the temperature. And, and actually there's physical buttons for that. So I barely even use it for that. Mm-hmm. So like really all I want is uh, I just use my phone and really all I want is, is Bluetooth. So I guess my question for you. So if you look out, I don't know how far in the future you can see based on the knowledge you have, but let's say three, four, five years in the future, like what is it going to look like when I get in my car? Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, so right now the, the systems are evolving on three ways. About four years, let's say in the future, yeah. the network topology is changing in all cars, right? They've all been some kind of token ring. 
So now they're actually going to more of an event bus type system. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Which actually makes things a lot easier because if you work on your car, like I was Because they were using uh, like CAN bus, right? They're using CAN bus. Yeah. But CAN bus was a token-based network. Yeah. So everything connected to that one token and broadcast the messages across. Right. The problem with that is, is we all know anybody who worked on anything that was a bus type technology mm -hmm. back then, especially hub-based, yeah. is you busy up the signal because everything is broadcasting. Is yeah. not talking to anybody. So if you want to turn uh, turn your turn signal on, like it might have to wait. Exactly. It, has, yeah. it may have to wait. So now with the, with the whole event-driven, you know, if you do the turn signal, it broadcasts that is your turn signal for the left. Mm -hmm. And whatever cares to respond to it, responds to it. Yeah. You know, so think of delegates and callbacks, that kind of thing. So that it's helps like, a it's lot. Like Pub sub. Exactly. Yeah. So that makes it a lot easier for them. So that's one of the biggest things, which is cool, which has allowed some of the new technologies that people are allowing to go in the vehicles. The other part is because they're coming together with this Linux operating system. The only thing they have now to do is put a UI that is branded to the manufacturer. Okay. So for us developers, mm -hmm. we're always targeting the same operating system behind it. So it makes it easier. If you want to turn the lights on on the vehicle, yeah. you don't have to worry that this is the command for Toyota or this is the command for Ford. You're always hitting that same abstraction layer to get okay. to it. So kind of like great. Cordova and PhoneGap yeah. did for, you know, if you're yeah. doing hybrid apps, you target the API and then the other's auto magic. You know, okay. So I'll be running Linux on that. Yes. And then what will the interaction model between the phone and that computer look like then? Is okay. It, yeah. The way that works right now is, so let's say you have an Android phone. Yeah. Right? You, you set up a web, you set up a service that runs on the Android phone and it's basically waiting to hear those messages coming back and forth. And what it does is you talk to it through a proxy which comes already built, you download, install in your app and that proxy uses remote procedure calls to the actual head unit and request information to it. Okay. So if you're used to web, it's like a similar to a promise. You send off a call, and then he lets you know via callback when that information is available. So you can ask what the car, how much gas does it have, and that kind okay. of things. But because of that proxy, which is developed by each manufacturer, and it's, available, and it's kind of abstracted away from you, you don't need to care so much about the low-lying details. You just need to ask for information. But it also gives us the ability is that every manufacturer now who's part of that has the same exact interface that's going to be available. Yeah. You know? So if you have an 8-inch screen uh, or if you took the best model, which may have a 4-inch screen, mm -hmm. they're both guaranteed to have at least three lines of text. Yeah. So if I need to display something, I go to line one, line two, or line three. Now, how that ends up on the UI is up to the manufacturer to figure out the best way to present that information to the user. Okay. Yeah. So what, what kind of experiences are we going to be start seeing on our cars with kind of this more standardization? Well, so the biggest ones right now that got everybody excited um, is, for example, if you do Android Auto, Mm -hmm. Right, uh, you can use Google Maps on your eight-inch touchscreen in the screen, yeah. so you don't have to use your phone and put in a holder that kind right. of thing. Right. The new cool thing is, which I actually have a YouTube video on that, is I use Waze yep. now. So when I go to navigate on the eight-inch screen, because if you don't have a beauty navigation, mm -hmm. uh, I can hit the push to talk on the steering wheel and says navigate to Kroger or whatever store it is, Ooh. and then on the screen he asks me, do you want to use Google Maps or do you want to use Waze or do you want to use the native navigation that came with the car? Right. No. As, yeah. So no. No, exactly. That's always a no. And, and first of all, you gotta keep buying those DVDs to upgrade it. You know, to update it. You know, it's, it's like ridiculous, right? Kind of thing. So that helps a lot. Um, a couple of other things that are really, really cool coming out. Like AAA has a similar product that they're doing now, because most people know AAA is used for emergency roadside services, right? They hook up into the vehicle for when like low tire pressure comes on, check engine light comes on. They you automatically come up. I said, do you need a tow truck? Do you want to contact <laughs> us, right? So that's more intuitive to the owner. Yep. And it already looks like some that come in their car. So it's a win-win for them. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to find their phone number, find what your ID number is with AAA and call them. They already know what's, what's actually wrong with the vehicle, you know, kind of stuff. Um, some of the other cool stuff that they're doing, uh, i probably say Ford actually did it on the 2017 CS Consumer Show. They have the Amazon Echo now. In 2017 and above, it's going to be a native app. So you can actually get in the heat and say, turn the thermostat on at home or raise the temperature. And, you, and, you, and it talks to your Amazon Echo at home, and that talks to whatever automated equipment you have at home kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So because of that standardization, it's helping match that bridge between what we're used to doing on the phones and what we're used to doing at home. And now you don't have to worry about when I get home, I got to do this, you know, that kind of stuff. So it makes it easier for us to develop. It makes it easier as a learning curve. I'm used to push to talk in my car. I push to talk it. What actually handles that? It okay. doesn't matter. It so do seems... I have to buy a new Mustang every year then to, <laughs> <laughs> to stay up to date with the tech? Well, you no. Know, 
<laughs> yeah, I'll probably say no, uh, depending on how old yours is. Um, well, it's a 2015. You, yeah, if you have like a 2016 one, yeah. um, they, they have already pushed our upgrades. I know. So if you had the Sync 1 point something, you got to Sync 2.2. Yep. As long as it's software, they'll keep upgrading it. Now, if there's a physical hardware limitation, then you have to upgrade. Yeah. Um, a couple of things they're addressing, uh, I think Ford and Toyota is about to release theirs. It's called OpenXC standard. It's the OBD2 sensor. Okay. You plug into your OBD2 port and it gives you wireless internet. And then it acts as a buffer to the rest of your system if it's not built in. Then your phone could still tether with that and control it that way. You don't get the really lovely UI integration, but you can still get the needed data in and out of the vehicle. Okay. Order cars. Okay. Yeah, I'm just wondering, like, you know, so let's say I had a 2018 Mustang, okay. which is really nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so if, so if I had that one, um, am I am I pretty future-proof then, do you think? I mean, do you think for years there'll be upgrades to get the latest and latest? Like, are we getting to a more upgradable platform? Because I know mine, there's been one update since I bought the vehicle, and what it did was they turned it on so you can hold down the button and talk to Siri. Yes. That was, like, their one major feature, and it took... I want to say two hours of update, yeah. um, and of course I had to go somewhere, yeah. so my car was updating while I was driving it. Yeah. Um, That's it, not nerve-wracking at all. That was a little scary. <laughs> like it's like your car is updating, and I'm like, I'm driving it. Like you know, please continue to keep working. So, <laughs> so, so I mean, like, are we are we finally the era though where we think we can actually keep our cars like reasonably up to date then? I'll probably say yes. So there's really three mitigating issues. Um, the first issue. Is, is, is strictly business. What features are you going to leave behind for the new models? Yeah. Right? Because that's the problem, mm -hmm. right? Nowadays, let's say, for example, phones. You don't really need to buy a new phone. You know, when I grew up in the 80s, you got your little flip phone, and you had that feature. If it didn't, you had to buy a new phone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now you have an Android phone, download the new app, right? Yep. And now you got Snapchat, yeah. you got whatever kind yeah. of thing. The problem with cars is anything that goes in that car, one, it has to be a good enough thing where we can offer that to everybody else and you still have something new to reveal the next year, you know, kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. The other part is they still got to go through the highway safety, right? So a simple thing is like allowing somebody to talk and say, turn the headlights off or turn the wipers on has to make sure you are not violating laws. Like I'm from Georgia. So if you have the wipers on, the lights have to be on. It's a national highway law. Oh, really? So yeah, so they, they require it. Same thing with vehicles. You can't have more than four lights pointing forward at any one time. Yeah. That's why a lot of new cars, you turn the blinker on, one of the lights goes off or the fog lights or something goes off mm -hmm. because wow. you can't have four pointing This is super, you, there's, you there's, I think there's lots of really cool facts locked up in your head. Yeah. <laughs> the, yeah, they, they're cool until you're trying to program around them. Yeah, you know? exactly. <laughs> until you get to write the software, then it's just, that sounds horrible. Exactly, then your great idea of like, what do you mean I can't do that? You know, kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So those things are, are really there, but I think, honestly, we're going to get to a point, and, and I'll, I'll say 2020, probably yeah. the earliest, to where it's just going to be downloading the new update on the vehicle, you know, refreshing it, because it makes it easier for them. They get an earlier time to market, yeah. and they'll be like, there's a few bugs, we'll address them in the next release, kind of yeah. thing. Um, now, the only problem that's coming up to it, which is with everything else, the more software we get in our life, the more downtime, which is what you talked about. Um, I have a Logitech Harmony remote at home. Sometimes I want to use it, but it needs to be updated first. So there's that downtime, you know, yep. kind of thing. Right. It's the same thing with the car. If you update sync, it took two USBs to update that thing. Yeah. And I'm just like, okay, you know, update kind of stuff. So it's, it's a penalty we're going to have to deal with because if you want the flexibility, we're going to have to deal with some kind of amount of downtime in order to keep up the latest and greatest technologies or else we're going to become obsolete because if we don't plan that downtime to upgrade the next version however long that takes then we only are going to have what got shipped with the vehicles you know but uh, but at that point most of the cars are going to be using the same operating systems they're going to be all upgradable it's going to be easier to say take it back to the dealership which because we all take it people here mm -hmm. but most people even in the q system with cadillac they almost lost sales because when they put that cadillac out it was all touch and the biggest owners of Cadillacs oh. are elderly folks. Yeah. They have like, how do I turn the AC on? They used to knobs and sliders when they grew up. That's a screen. You know? That's not That's not an interface. It's a that's screen. not an interface. <laughs> what do you mean I got to hit this weird looking thing that looks like a snow pile, you know, to get the <laughs> AC on, right? That's the thing. It's just, you, you, you kind of get jetted as you go into technology, but it's a yeah. huge 
learning curve. They actually had to have experts in every dealership. You buy it, they actually sit there and teach you how to use the touch screens to where they start giving iPads now. And, and I wonder like how much Tesla is going to get that with the Model 3 because they've shown the interiors of those and it's it's very Spartan interior very with Spartan. nothing except for a screen there. Absolutely. And with that coming to a much different demographic than their previous ones, they're probably going to have people totally unused to uh, using it like that. And they, and they are. And one of the things I've heard about, I haven't seen the video myself, is there's going to be released videos. There's one of those like, you know, hey, thank you for buying a Tesla. This is how you turn the lights on. This is how you turn stuff on. Uh, to even things that learning curve, like one of the things that people are so far not so happy about the new model is the gauges on that big center dial. You know, yeah. it, it may not be such a big deal, but most people are used to having line of sight I, just look a, down. But it is there. So people are like, eh, I got to look over there. You know, that kind of thing to see the dial yeah. kind of thing. Officer, officer, my speedometer, my speedometer yeah. is not here. I, I can't look at it without taking my eyes off the road. I swear it's 155. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, sir, sir, can I see your car log? Yeah, yeah. Pull up on the screen? And, and, that, and that is an issue. Uh, it's actually, you brought that up, yeah. right? It's like that guy who had the accident in the Tesla. Yeah. And he was saying it was a car's fault. And they'd be like, no. Five seconds before that, the car warned you, you need to take over. Yeah. Three seconds, it told you to hit this button and you didn't. You know, it's not our fault. Right? Well, and, and that'll be interesting, like, if the police can ever get that, like, on demand. Like, if you get pulled over, if they can, yeah. they, they just get that. You know, that's, well, where, that's where some of these, that's the, the laws that's scary, aren't yeah. caught up to the technology. They're not. And, and one of the biggest things, actually, when I was at, the, at that hackathon uh, where my eyes were kind of cross-eyed by the end of the day, um, is they had an a, a, a ethics test. Because the biggest thing they're having right now is cars have to make decisions that we normally make, yeah. right? And one of those things was the car has determined that the accident is imminent. It has detected there's, a, there's a people in front of the car and there's people in the car. One of those has to die. The car needs to make a decision. Either the occupants are going to die or the person in front of the car is going to die. And the car needs to be able to choose. So they've actually started building algorithm in these vehicles that can detect who the person in front of the car is. Right. And one of those tests, which thank God is not public, but they do give you results, mm -hmm. is they'll, they'll put like a grandmother looking mm -hmm. figure in the middle of the street. And then they'll put like your wife in the vehicle mm -hmm. and say, choose which of them mm -hmm. dies. Right. These are the things that we normally kind of think if it's your friend, you may be like, yeah, if it's your whole family in the front of the car, you may be like, yeah. I'll take the hit. Right. To the car, there's no emotional aspect to it. Yeah. So it needs clarified data. It's got to score it. Yeah. It's got to score it. If it's the doctor there or there's a homeless, and they even put like a homeless person there. And then they'll put like a pregnant mother in the car and they say, choose. Yeah. Right. And you got to make this ethics. And at the end, they give you a score and you'll be like, oh, I'm a bad person. <laughs> you know, that's the thing, you know, right? Because you know? they give you your results, you know, yeah. kind of thing. Oh, you know, yeah. they don't share with the other people where the hell I'm going but, to kill the most people possible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Is it my friend that still has my chainsaw? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because he may have to take that hit, you know. <laughs> so, I don't like that guy anyway. Yeah, but I mean, it, there's a lot of interesting things like that, and then of course the word about the legalities, like you yeah. mentioned, right? Yeah. The car is making that decision. The person yeah. who actually the car decided is going to hit them. Well, I mean, that, that brings up another point. You know, if it is our, if we're having that two-way exchange of data between the car and the phone, yes. where is it? Where it's the 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 car manufacturer? Where is it the the maker of the app of the phone that's controlling the interface at the time. Yes. I mean, you get a really interesting split there. You do. And right now what they're doing is is because they're only allowing the apps to run on the phone. Yes. Uh, the immediate benefit to that is if, like, right now we have a rental for this yeah. conference, I still have the app, yeah. so it should work in that car as well. Yeah. The other thing they're trying to do about that is uh, if you're using this common smart device link is they're putting you behind a buffer. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to cover all the legalities because nobody's going to probably sue me. They probably want to sue Ford because they have more money, you know, that kind yep. of thing. So they're going to try to stop you from putting all, turning off the lights when the wiper's on and those kind of things. So that's the kind of like obstruction layer. They say, mm -hmm. we're not going to let you do what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. But now if you're going through like OBD2 plugs and all that, and well, you can do whatever you want to do, mm -hmm. yeah. then it's the app maker who's at fault. And yeah. hopefully somebody's not going 90 miles an hour and you activate the emergency brake. You know, kind of thing, right? Because those things, those things are issue. Because the new cars, there's no physical brakes to pull anymore. Yeah. You hit a button, and the brakes are there. Yeah, it's all electronics, kind mm -hmm. of stuff. So you had to be a lot more careful, and that's what they're really trying to mitigate: is mm -hmm. when you make an app, how dangerous is this app going to be? You know, and and they that's why they're trying to give only read data right now, yep. rather than full control. It ease the developers into 
that exactly. level of access until the industry and the and the legal system can catch up to at least some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and sometimes they don't want you to ride to like, for example, in most cars they have, as I said, three levels. They have the high-speed bus, which is emergency systems only. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, because you want the airbags to go off as quickly as possible. If you're not a very good developer and you have some crazy loop running yeah. and you're busy up there in network, well, the airbags are going to be delayed. Sorry, we're adding, you know? we're adding, <laughs> yeah. we're adding support for, for Siri. We can't exactly. deploy your airbags right now. Exactly. Right. <laughs> Please yeah. check back in a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's like, whoops. You know, thing. So, and that's why they mitigate it. They separate yeah. the networks in the cars so you can have some access but not dying, yeah. hinder the really, really important things, as well as put that software buffer saying, hey, we allow you to query, we'll let you to control. And if you need to control, you better have a really miraculous reason uh, to let us know so we can allow you to do that with your app. Um, so right now, Smart Device Things has a huge file. I think it's actually in JSON that allows which permissions your app allowed to activate on that vehicle. So they can, they would, I can actually lock that out and say, we don't care what code you wrote. You're not allowed to mess with lights and stuff like that. But, I mean, bringing it back to one of the examples that you had earlier, I, I really think that, you know, there's some really cool, powerful things you can do just with that read, like that AAA mm -hmm. example that you have. I mean, if it detects that I blew out, uh, you know, a tire or something, mm -hmm. not only would it be helpful for it to, like, have that ready for me to hit the button to call, mm -hmm. but then it can transmit to them, like, hey, they blew out a tire, you know, it's on, on, it's on the left rear, mm -hmm. and these are the people that can service it, I mean, that can really help automate and make it so I can get back on the road faster. Yes. And, and well, and even a little bit better, I uh, kind of designed to that. There's a company right now that's actually working on a prototype. There's a non-disclosure statement, so I can't yeah. mention the company. But what they're <laughs> actually doing is they're working with medical records. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest problems that the EMTs have is they'll show up. Some people may be diabetic or they're on blood thinners or oh. whatever kind of stuff. They don't know that information when they show up on site kind yeah. of thing. So to them, what they're actually trying to do is because all these cars, whether you have OnStar or otherwise, yeah. they have a way of notifying emergency services. They're actually working on an interface that would actually send your medical records that mitigate to an accident oh, that's, of, that's of cool. all the occupants in the vehicle. Yeah. By the time they show up, they know this person is on blood thinners. So they're going to need clotting agents in case they're bleeding and that yeah. kind of stuff or they're diabetic. Yeah. You know, we may have to check for their sugar, maybe that's why they crashed because they, they phased out kind of stuff. So information like that is becoming life-saving and they have it before they even get on site. Because yeah. other than that, it's a guessing game why, why the accident happened and things like that. So those things are really cool to even just simple stuff like the one that won a couple years ago in Brazil, I think it was Brazil, Colombia. They had an issue where gas stations were selling the wrong amount of gas. Because none of us check. You go pump yeah. gas. Right, right, right. It tells you got nine gallons at whatever price. We're like, okay, you go yeah, back in your car. Yeah, the needle moved a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Was it really nine or was it eight? Mm -hmm. You know, kind of thing. Yeah. So now they, they made another app like that. You hit it. It measures how much gas you have in the air. You fill up. You hit it again. It actually tells you how much yeah. gallons are in the car. Yep, like, yep, that was 16.9. Exactly. And if it's not, they have a button. You hit that button, and record reports that guy's station to the authorities mm -hmm. uh, for actually having the wrong values. That's so awesome. there's a lot of little cool stuff like that, all which is really life-saving things like the medical response and stuff like that. So they have some really, really, really cool apps coming out, mm -hmm. you know, kind of stuff. Um, and probably the last thing I heard is what they're testing out to be the zero-dollar vehicle. You know, their whole thing is instead of now paying to have, like, automatic wipers or those yeah. kind of things, mm -hmm. a company will pay you to have that option on the vehicle. Mm -hmm. Because they want the data. In exchange, you agree to sell them the data for six months or a year. And the notion they call it zero dollar vehicle is as you keep adding on option, they keep giving you money for that data. And eventually you're going to get down to where the car costs zero. You know, because the more options you have, yep. the more data you can supply to somebody. Um, and the DOT was looking into that because they have to drive all the highways to make sure they're not obstructed. Mm -hmm. They have to do that several times during the day. How many cars right now are going down, you know, I-90 or I-12? If they have that data, they can know where the obstructions are. Yeah. They don't need to physically have vehicles, DOT vehicles, driving up and down. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of data that the cars could be supplying there for sure. Absolutely, and they're hoping to be able to sell it. You know, and that's where it's going to be is you and the dealership. I didn't even think of that for weather report. If you have some of these GPS coordinates and if their windshield wipers are on, like, boom, that's even more weather data. You have that, Your car's a weather sensor now. And it's actually, and it'll be accurate down to their feet because right. we've all been outside where it's raining and they'll be like, chance of rain, 20%. And be like, are you serious? 
you know, it's like raining right now. I think it's more than twenty percent. You know, when are you gonna update to a hundred? You know, I'm no expert. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's the thing. So a lot of that stuff will be helpful. And of course, imagine situations. They talk about tornadoes hitting places. You know, all the the cars have the barometers. They have the elevation meters. How do they know tornadoes are happening? Even air quality. You know, amount of oxygen and things like that. Air mixtures. Yeah, absolutely. And they need that to make the cars run because of the combustion fuel mixtures. But that data can be read and is and is great. Yeah. You, know, you can get it however you want. Very cool. Uh, so a couple of important questions. What color is your Mustang and is it a convertible or a fastback? Oh, completely uh-huh. convertible. It's a black, beautiful shadow black. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we almost have an identical car then. Yeah. Mine is yellow. That was okay. the color that I got. But I have a convertible as well. So Yeah, the yellow is beautiful. The convertible is great unless yeah. you want a big exhaust pipes. Yeah. Racing yeah. underneath is a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to run that. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful shadow black convertible. Yeah. Premium awesome. edition. Yeah, that's what I got as well. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Wonderful. Cool. So if people want to find out more or reach you online, where, yeah. where can people get a hold of you? Okay, definitely. I'm on Twitter at Ophidian, which is O-P-H-E, not I, E-D-I-A-N. Mm-hmm. They can definitely treat me. That's the best way to get in touch with me. Okay. Um, if you want to learn more about car technology, there's Smart Device Link. You can go up there. They have an excellent API. You can Google. They have a lot of videos there happening. Uh, of course, I'm on GitHub, uh, which is also under Ophidian okay. kind of thing. So I guarantee if you see an Ophidian with mm-hmm. an E, it is me. I've had that since 1992 <laughs> we'll when I was doing sure GeoCities. We'll make sure there's that in the show notes. Yeah. Okay, excellent. Yeah, so I've had it since GeoCities. I'm dating myself. Oh. You know, back <laughs> that, was, that was me. So yeah. if somebody else has it, please let me know. <laughs> We're going to have some things to work out. This is you really know? cool. What a, what a, what a neat topic because, like, yeah. as uh, us as developers, like, we you know, we, we look at code, yeah. but it's always really cool whenever you can make it real. And, you know, vehicles are something, like, we all have to deal with. And we probably all complain about, too, as developers. You know, it's like things, you know, things work differently. Like, um, just, you know, this is this is how my mind works, so I apologize. But, like, um, uh, cruise control. You know, like, I, I don't think I could ever buy a vehicle where when you turn on the vehicle, the cruise control is off, even though it was on the last time the car was on. Like, I hate it when you have to, like, turn it on again. It's like, really? Like, I actually think whenever you hit set, it should turn on the cruise. Like, I always think about these little things. Yeah. And then, like, your 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 stereo, you know, like, turning, turning the volume. Like, I always said, hey, if it's off and I'm, like, trying to turn it up, like, why don't you just turn on? Like, what else could I possibly mean by that? Yeah, that's- so I always said it like those little things. But I feel like even the people that don't really like think about how to improve it, yes. I think they feel the pain of like bad design decisions and 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 also you know maybe not even when they're just using it, but also when they're buying one and like yeah. trying to compare things. I mean, it's just like, like such a messy thing that we all have to deal with all the time. And and you, and you know, and to be honest, you know, when we grew up with cars, it was a transportation yep. A to B. Yeah. That's all it was. So a lot of the people that really had these vehicles, they were designing. They were all, a lot of older designer, which is not bad as first being in age. Mm-hmm. But they grew up with a vehicle. It was a vehicle. Make it comfortable. That was about it. Until the bailout, that's when they started switching things around. Mm-hmm. And then at that point, the vehicles started having a lot more infusion of, oh, there's this cool tech. Right. Mm-hmm. But once again, traditionally, they're not used to a lot of usability stuff because mm-hmm. the cars, if you can put in drive with some manual, put in the first gear, you're good to go. You know, like on, on my Mustang, one of the things that agitates me is when I do autocross, sometimes I do autocross in it, mm-hmm. is I put in the sports modes. I have the turbo switch because I have yep. automatic. If I shut it off and put it back on, it forgets it was in sports mode. Then I got to put it yeah. back on. I think that's I think mode. that's one of those legal you know? rules. Yeah. And I'm like, ah, I, I left you there. <laughs> I want you there. So I, yeah. I understand the pain. Um, but they're trying to go around it. And, and to just give you an idea on that, like one of the biggest things that really hurt Cadillac, for example, is the big boys, the DTS and the STS, now it's the XTS, right? They lost a big number of cells because they removed the little oopsie handle on top. Oh, really? Because they wanted a more carved thing and they thought mm-hmm. it would be a really beautiful handle. They found out a lot of their customers, being an older crowd, they needed that to get oh, in and out of the in. vehicle. Yeah. So removing something like that caused such a big hoopla. So now because of that, everybody's kind of weary to yeah. say, hey, <laughs> if we change how this works, yeah, don't change what's going to be the impact? <laughs> you know, yep. so they're doing the same thing. Let them do it first, you know, <laughs> that kind of yeah. thing, you know, and see lessons learned, you know, from mm-hmm. that. So a lot of these things is they're trying to mitigate is like if we get the people who grew up with the old cars, we're going to give them the toggle switches, mm-hmm. you know. If you're newer, you can switch whatever driving mode in by using the up and down menu, yeah. you know, kind of thing. So they're trying to mitigate that by giving you both. But unfortunately, at the same point, they can't do both. And then there's the laws. 
you know, yeah. that require you to do certain things a certain way. Um, but I'm hoping, I'm really, really hoping that within the next couple of years, a lot of this course will get so, so much better. Um, and what gives me a little hope is like, for example, Lexus, mm -hmm. you know, if you get the LS460, the stretch version, it has infrared sensor in the back seats. You know, it measures your temperature, I think four or five different places on the body. Okay. And it automatically decides where to move the vents. You know, does it, does it go up on top or on the bottom? Because yeah. we've been in cars where it's like the vents are blowing, your feet are cold, but you're hot up here, you know, and mm -hmm. then you got to yeah. flip it down to the feet, and now you're hot up here, right? Yeah. So it automatically, automatically does that. And Tesla and the new vehicle, <laughs> if you notice, they don't really have vents. When the AC comes on, the little things slide down and expose the vents, you know, kind of thing, mm -hmm. and which vents need to be exposed. Wow. So they're trying to work on that usability issue. The problem is if you're the first one, there's a learning curve, and then yeah. you pay all the glitches. You know, it may yeah. be cool until it breaks and you take it back to the delicious like five times. Like the X-wing doors, too. That <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> then you'd be like, and they're good until you're in a small parking spot. You know, that, <laughs> that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, and because we had a friend who was looking to one and he's like, eh, eh, no, I've been mm -hmm. in a downtown parking yeah, there was spot. a guy that's like, no, no, they don't they don't take up much room. And he goes, and he yeah, he's going to do a demonstration. like, that's not helping your case. <laughs> you know, and, and that's the thing. And once again, it's a learning curve. A lot of people are used to holding onto the door getting in and out of the vehicle when they go up like that it's an it's an, you know it's an issue so yeah, there's, there's a learning curve to? you yeah. know to a yeah. lot of these things and that's what i think stalling some of these designers and developers and all this stuff but and, and, and i think that's where like one one of the thing that you mentioned that i really picked up on now in my car a lot of times there's like three or four different ways to do everything mm -hmm. and and that's to like you said, I didn't think about it, but that's a way to bridge doing it the old way and having a new way for the people who want to do it yeah. that way. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And and it really helps. And that's like, as you know, if you have the premium, you have the paddle shifters. Yep. Uh, same thing. You know, they, they still, you can you can use that to shift to a lot of the new cars. Now you can move it to the side and do mm -hmm. the little manual shifting thing. It's still fully automatic. Yeah. But it was a way to try to give people to what they used to. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, if I have automatic, but I want to shift it, you know, kind yeah. of thing. Mm -hmm. You still have that option. Yeah. Kind of yep. thing. Yeah. So th that's, it's good, but it's also bad. It's holding them back because they can't say completely forget this one. We're going to redesign everything from scratch because as great as it is and as techie people will love it, you know, but the average user, they'd be like, you know, and then where do you put that feature? Do you mm -hmm. put it in the Honda Civic or do you put it in the Acura? You know, that's, that's another thing. So they mm -hmm. got to figure out, you know, the, R&D is expensive. We don't have yes. No. No, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we get visitors here every once in a while. Yes. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on and talking about smart cars. Very oh, the cool. pleasure. The pleasure is mine. Don't wait for users to report problems. Raygun gives you complete visibility on errors, crashes, and performance problems affecting your end users. Replicate issues in seconds rather than digging through log files or having to rely on users to report errors or crashes. Raygun gives you a window into how users are really experiencing your software applications, supports all major programming languages and platforms, and integrates with your current development workflow tools too. There's a free 14-day trial, and it takes minutes to implement. So start resolving issues in your application and check it out today at raygun.com. Uh, right now we're talking to Rob Reynolds, founder of Chocolatey Software. So congratulations, because last time we had you on, uh, there wasn't a Chocolatey Software. He was software. working for the man. Uh, that <laughs> no, was almost was three years ago. not a Chocolatey Software, that is correct. That yeah, was almost three years ago yeah. already. Yeah. And now he is the man. There was a Chocolatey <laughs> at the time, so. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. So, like, what's new? I mean, it's been so yeah oh, I, th it, since three years ago. Like, what uh, what's new? Oh, so uh, three years <laughs> uh, kind of capsize that in. Uh, so, I was working, I think, at the time maybe for Puppet uh, Puppet yeah. Labs, yep. and I was there for three and a half years. And I always said that was like my dream job. The only reason I would leave would to uh, be to commercialize or, or, yeah, or do stuff with chocolate. And uh, well, that uh, came to pass. And so, in February, I left that, and uh, I've been working. Uh, with my own business for uh, since that time, and yeah. I always had the joke that I would hire people uh, to work <laughs> for me before I would be able to go full time, and that also came to pass. <laughs> so that That's was a, cool. that was pretty. Fun. Yeah. So, what is uh, the breakdown percentage wise? Like scary and exciting. <laughs> do, uh, you know, thing? it's really you know all all up you know all scary and exciting. Yeah. Uh, the I guess the exciting thing is you think uh, you get out and you you're gonna go run your own business and you're like. Yes, finally, right? All glory. And it's going to be great. And uh, you get out there and you realize that uh, you just, you know, <laughs> you step into this like, chasm where you're you're learning millions of things all the time. And mm -hmm. uh, it's it's a good time. Uh, it's definitely worth it. Uh, but uh, nobody 
I mean, you could read all kinds of things to try to prepare for that. But uh, when you actually do step off and you go do that full time, uh, you start learning about a whole whole bunch of things. So a lot of it's hitting the ground running and then just continually learning and uh, uh, being very flexible. Okay. Very cool. So, very cool. Semper Gumby. That's, that's what I can say. <laughs> so I, I think since the last time we talked to you, you have a lot of like pro and business features added yeah. to Chocolatey. Can you tell us about those? <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. So um, a lot of things that we saw in the open source edition that we wanted to do uh, cost us money to do. And so uh, we did a Kickstarter in 2014, which I believe we talked about the last time I was on the show. In yep. fact, that was yeah. the last time and I that was, was on the last show. And that's, that's yeah. when I got my chocolatey shirt. And the whole idea of that was to uh, really ensure the longevity of chocolatey, ensure that it could be around for the next uh, 15 or, or, or more years. Mm-hmm. And um, moving from that to... <laughs> Not seen off camera as Greg messing with us. Yes. <laughs> um, and so I lost my train of thought. Uh, longevity, keeping Long keeping jam. chocolatey around, yeah. Yeah, so keeping chocolatey around and then moving that into uh, a business model. Yeah. And, yeah. Which is good. So what, so what is the business model? Oh, yeah, thank you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Now I remember the question. Greg can be really distracting, train. yeah. Uh, so um, with... Uh, the things that we wanted to do with uh, a chocolatey that we couldn't do in the open source, uh, things like uh, virus scanning and uh, you know being able to ensure more reliability. And so those are the things that uh, we brought about a pro version. So for individuals that are, are using chocolatey uh, at work or at home or whatever, uh, give, giving them a model where they can have more reliability and using that community repository to uh, install packages, to... Um, you know, work with chocolatey and, uh, and installing older versions, all that good stuff, uh, and then continually making chocolatey better for them as well. Uh, but we also introduced a, a side for organizations, and that's chocolatey for business. We call it C for B for short, mm-hmm. and uh, that really brings about um, in the way that most organizations work. Uh, they don't want an online repository. Uh, they want to have something internal. Uh, they can do that completely for free. So they can have an internal repository. They can create their own packages. There's no cost for that. Um, but a lot of times we find that organizations want to be able to reuse packages from the community repository. Yes. Yep. But they want to be able to internalize everything so that it mm-hmm. comes in and uh, it's completely offline. When you want to, yeah, you want to be able to like, host it locally for performance too, right? right? And uh, performance. Uh, and we started, and of course, reliability, right? And so we created uh, Package Internalizer to help meet what they were already doing manually in a lot of these organizations. In a way, they could script it. They could put it uh, on Team City or Jenkins or whatever they want to use for CI or a scheduled task, and uh, that would give them um, the ability to uh, pull all these packages in, have them internalized, and uh, within a matter of once it gets released on the community repository, whenever their next schedule runs, they'll have it on a test repository where they can ensure that everything's working right before they push it up to a production repository. So that way, for example, like if you're using a specific GitHub client or mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, if there's a version, you can test it out before everybody gets it. So that way it may not be the latest at the time, right. but once it's tested and vetted, then it can become the latest internally. Yeah. And so you also have that point of stability. So uh, just having your own internal repository and deciding when to take in like the next version of Chocolate and all that. Uh, again, you can do all that for free. Uh, but you're able to pull that in and uh, stabilize, uh, and this just ramps that process up. The other thing we have is Package Builder, and Package Builder allows us to look at executable installers, MSIs, zips, and uh, be able to point to them, and in about five seconds, it will generate a fully ready-to-go package. So 70% of the time, when it's going through this archive of installers, uh, you're getting a fully ready-to-go deployment in about five seconds, so extremely fast. Um, the uh, the other percentage uh, comes in because we know there are some... Uh, the technical term is craptastic, uh, craptastic <laughs> installers out there. Uh, but there's some custom installers out there that don't, um, uh, we're not able to figure out what kind of installer it is. So it doesn't fall into NSIS, uh, Bitrock, or any of those others. Uh, we got no setup. Um, and so we're not able to fully automate it. Uh, but we do wrap everything, get it ready. And so then all you need to provide uh, is uh, those additional silent arguments so that it can install silently. So uh, can it also work with like Apex as well? Some of the uh, not yet, not yet, not yet. So, so I heard it yet. So you're yes. working. On it. <laughs> yes, we are working on WSA support and Apex, um, and then we are going to support Windows Nano as well. Uh, for those that don't know, Windows Nano is that really tiny version of Windows, uh, where they've 
ripped everything out uh, <laughs> for security purposes, but it doesn't have inside, doesn't have anything. And uh, so we have a little rework on Chocolatey so that we can support that environment uh, going oh, in there. So cool. uh, probably early 2018, uh, that will be an open source. Uh, so it'll be supported across everything across the board. Um, another feature uh, with Package Builder uh, I was getting into was um, it's not going to be able to figure out things like, uh, we call them those uh, mega installers, so like SQL Server, uh, Visual Studio, those things that have a lot of components that they like to install. Mm -hmm. It needs an XML to do that, and Package Builder doesn't generate that yet. Uh, and then, of course, I already mentioned the virus thing. we got a ton of features we've been adding. So we have a new one called Package Audit, mm -hmm. and this is huge for organizations. Um, you can actually figure out, uh, if you become an event log ninja, uh, when you actually installed some MSI, right, and who installed it. But for all those executable installers and everything else, good luck, right? <laughs> and uh, our package auditing, uh, when you install things with Chocolatey, uh, you're able to see not just uh, who installed it, but when it got installed. So it does keep track of that stuff for you. And so okay. that's, that's, pretty, that's cool. pretty big. Um, and then another thing is what we call package reducer or optimizer. So uh, when companies are doing this, uh, you know, what you see on the community repository, you see a lot of packages that are subject to distribution rights, so they can't actually embed the installers into the, the, the package file. Uh, they have to reach out at runtime. So in organizations, it's exactly the opposite. Everything's in the packages, uh, which makes those files uh, can be a little big, uh, can have a bit of a weight on systems. And mm -hmm. so we have our package reducer, which will go in and deflate those new packages down to about uh, 3 or 4K, and uh, then it cleans up everything for them automatically. So... Um, Okay. We have a couple of organizations. One of them uh, just tweeted about it, said uh, uh, they ran the, the optimized command and it saved them uh, 2.57 gigabytes of space on their machine. So <laughs> nice. I was like, that's pretty, pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good. Yeah. So you mentioned like being able to, you, you manage package audit. Um, mm -hmm. Can I see for a particular package, and maybe this is exactly what it does, and then the answer would be really simple, but can I see exactly like what registry settings are going to change and what files are going to be put on my machine? Is, that, is there a way to do that? Not yet. Okay. Uh, but that is a feature that we're working on where it's going to start tracking okay. more and more stuff, uh, yeah. more of that uh, you know, system changes. So right now, uh, we have a, that auto uninstaller, and uh, what it does is just tracking the registry keys for the uninstall. So when you install it, nine times out of ten, it can automatically remove it. Uh, Without an uninstall script. Yeah, I was um, just thinking you could have a server process that and fires so up a container. We could have something that watches that kind of stuff yeah. and then sees all those changes. Uh, and there's a few tools out there that do this uh, kind of thing where they can actually see all of the changes that happen yeah. on the system. And it's just weeding out the stuff that doesn't apply, right? Yeah. Because uh, you know, invariably, if you've ever run Procmon, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there. There's a lot of things happening yeah. on that system, and uh, so registry keys are getting set. You just have to have an area where you're going to ignore stuff like that. Well, that's why I was thinking you could you could fire up a container, uh, run the package in there, and then just yeah. do like kind of a before and after. <laughs> that might be kind of an interesting way of yeah, doing it. Absolutely. Uh, one of the things that we do do on the community repository is we have our uh, package verifier, mm -hmm. and it does exactly that for testing. Okay. It just doesn't take a diff. Oh, that's pretty cool. Okay. Right. So one of the things that we were looking at, um, there's a, a, a tool out there called Turbo. And then there's some other tools that are uh, much more, I think there's a Microsoft tool, uh, one or two of those that will also do diffing, and, uh, where once you run it, you can actually diff the container versus what it started out with, that base okay. image. So one thing that I've been, I've been wanting to ask you, and I just haven't had time to look into it, um, I know in Windows 10, and I, I believe I asked you this you know, back in the day whenever we talked to you last time, Windows 10 has some kind of meta package manager, and I don't know if you've done anything with this. <laughs> one git. It's called so, one git. Yeah. So like, what, what, what is the state of that today and how does that work with chocolatey or is that just something you're, it, that's it, a fair ignorable? question. So, uh, we, it's called uh, package management, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes called PowerShell package manager, windows package management, uh, AKA one get, um, and it is that built in package manager, uh, manager, uh, for <laughs> windows 10, windows server 2016. And uh, we call that, we think the name uh, package management is a bit of a misnomer because it doesn't manage any packages whatsoever. Right. It only has providers and manages other package managers. Yep. And uh, Chocolatey is one. There is a prototype out there. I would suggest uh, not using it, uh, mostly because it's, it's built by Microsoft, not fully featured because it was a prototype uh, a few, uh, I don't know how many years ago, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And it... Uh, <laughs> might have some security issues, right? And so... Uh, I would uh, recommend uh, if you're going to use, uh, you know, OneGetter package management to to manage Chocolatey stuff. There's another provider out there. It's a nice bridge right now. It's okay. called Chocolatey Get. 
Uh, it's written by another Microsoft person. Uh, I can't think of the name. June. I, I can never say it right. Um, but uh, uh, she actually reached out and we had a, like a two-hour conversation uh, and so just to make sure that, you know, everything. And so that one's built um, much, much better than the original. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Because uh, I'm thinking like as a, as a user, if I just want to install some applications, like I'd probably just use Chocolatey Direct, right? That's probably what you recommend. That's what we see a lot of. So um, coming back to why we haven't finished off the provider yet. Uh, so we have the official provider that we're working on. Um, we do a lot of prioritization with our customers mm -hmm. to figure out what it is uh, that's important to them, what it is they want us to be focusing on. And uh, due to that, being a smaller company, a smaller startup right now, uh, we have to have a pretty hyper focus. And so uh, not very many of them, none of them, are uh, prioritizing uh, getting that provider completed. And so it falls back to open source time, uh, which we don't have a lot of. So we're trying to work with the open source community uh, to really get that done. Um, okay. Unfortunately. It needs to be someone who's very, very familiar with Chocolatey, very familiar with OneGet, uh, and is uh, very proficient in C-sharp development. So, yeah. uh, I don't know if we're looking for uh, a unicorn, but <laughs> if you're out there. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah, I, any, any other features you want to talk about? Anything else you want to you plug mm. as relates to Chocolatey? So... Um, a lot of the things that we see uh, when it comes to that business edition, like I didn't know this until I, I went to work for Puppet. I thought Chocolate is very much a development type tool for developers. Uh, we found, or I found, uh, when I went to uh, work for a company that does more infrastructure automation and yeah. system administrator type stuff, that it was huge in that area. So a lot of system administrators were using Chocolatey and uh I was thinking, you know, even at the time that it, it was written fully in PowerShell before we rewrote it in 2014 to C Sharp, I was thinking, wow, uh, this tool is not that great at that time, but it had a great user interface and always has, uh, my focus has always been on that user uh, experience, trying to make sure that, you know, that's good. And a lot of people are like, it's a command line app. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's still a user experience when it comes to command line now. Absolutely. I'm not going to say it's the greatest experience, but uh, you know, it's still pretty good. Like, uh, you know, we finally got a help menu in there, which I thought was huge. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, who, who, needs, who needs help? Uh, yeah, yeah. Help no. is important. Uh, so the only thing it doesn't have is like a, a shell where you enter the shell and then you're like, okay, I need to um, try to figure out what's going on and work through that process. Uh, that uh, is something that we've thought about. So uh, a feature that we're thinking about for you know, even open sources saying, hey, uh, chocolatey shell, and then it drops into a shell and you can issue all your commands and you get kind of the, the tab completion. You can get tab completion with PowerShell now with chocolatey, but you get more of that tab completion, the help menus and stuff as you're working through it. And so kind of an interactive shell that you would use uh, with chocolatey. That's one thing. Uh, another thing that we are uh, looking to do um, is uh, bringing up quality of packaging. So uh, mm -hmm. we have the package uh, validator, which is on the community repository. We're going to bring that back to Chocolatey itself so that when you actually package up, uh, it's going to give you uh, all that feedback uh, right then and there. And so you can say, hey, I want this to be strict like the community repository uh, or uh, you know, maybe just apply it to my organization and uh, be able to do that. And additionally, on, uh, of course, the business model, we're going to add in the ability for uh, organizations to set up their own validations and stuff. Mm -hmm. So they'll be able to do that as well. Um, another thing that we're going to add in is, you know, I might install a lot of stuff, right? And uh, so uh, for pro users, people that need a little bit more functionality and above, we're going to add the ability to say, hey, when I install this package, I want to run this, this script from my machine, either before, after, or okay. instead of that, that script. And so I'll have the ability to do pre, post, and replace hooks okay. into actual packages or for all packages. So uh, I might have like a global one. So uh, those kinds of uh, being able to customize the way that, that Chocolatey runs uh, is, is kind of huge. I think it's going to be huge anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like you're, I mean, it seems like you're working on uh, all the right stuff. Because, I mean, the, the reality is like you, you mentioned it being like a developer tool, but I really see it as... Anybody who is just even slightly tech savvy, yeah. you know, just making their life easier and then being able to um, just get their system up and running. Because honestly, like the thing that I want from Chocolatey is to like never really see it. Like I just want it to make my life easier and, uh, and, and then be, be as invisible. Yeah. I mean, the whole point is automation, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's great, though. I love the I love the stuff you're doing as far as making the packages. Uh, more reliable, or I shouldn't say more reliable, but you know the virus detection and a lot of those types of things. Um, that's really great to see because um, it's just uh -huh. making my life a lot easier. Right on. Okay, um, uh, where can people find you? 
Uh, so I'm online at uh, Fervent Coder, F E R V E N T Coder, and uh, you can find me there at Gmail, Twitter, pretty much GitHub, anywhere. Uh, okay. That's where you can find me. Uh, the other thing, you chocolatey.org and that's EY okay <laughs> so we didn't spell it standard because that was the domain that was available okay very cool I love chocolatey thank you so much for coming on the show right on thanks Aspose offers a powerful set of file management APIs with which developers can create applications which can create open edit and save the majority of popular business file formats their product range supports a multitude of file formats including word documents excel spreadsheets powerpoint presentations PDF documents, OneNote, Outlook, Project, Visio files, popular image formats, and many others. Aspose produces APIs for .NET, Java, and the cloud, which can be utilized in almost any modern language available today. Visit Aspose.com for a free 30-day no-limitations trial, and if you get stuck, message the friendly support team for help. All technical support is offered free of charge. And remember, if you are a lucky winner, you will receive a free developer small business license for Aspose.net, a powerful toolkit for working with Word documents in your applications. And we're excited to have Al Zodke here. He is an architect at JJ Keller, and uh, he's doing a lot of really cool things there. Welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Got the message this morning, and busy morning, but registration went well, so that's awesome. That as well. They they really yeah. went over their systems this year and made sure that was a flawless well, process. Yeah. It, so it was smooth as could be. Yeah, we have to really thank the team for that one. Shout out to that conference team for that. Yeah. <laughs> so later on this week, uh, you're speaking, and uh, I, th I think the title is KISS, Keeping It Simple. Yeah, um, well, the subtitle is a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so we go from KISS. I think it's a forgotten acronym in our development world. We've got so many acronyms for so many things. And I think we just forget to keep things simple once in a while. We, we focus too much on big picture and future use and becoming the next Netflix or Amazon and things mm -hmm. like that. And, and we have all these like patterns and practices. We got to learn them all and use them all. And Well, maybe not all of them. Maybe, maybe not all of them maybe. is the point. Yeah, right. I, I think you that's know, what you're trying to get at. Yeah, sometimes, you know, and I, I see it a lot with, I don't want to throw people on the bus here, but younger <laughs> developers, they learn these patterns. They're great. They want to use them. But they want to use all of them, and sometimes all in the you, same class, even <laughs> same class, same file, or or sometimes you know we've got too many classes or yep. not enough classes, so mm -hmm. we just we try and go too big picture sometimes, and I'm guilty of it too. Yeah. So I've actually heard people say that pretty much every like rule in software is actually uh, derived from Kiss. So have you ever thought of that? Do you think that's true? I never really thought about it that yeah. way, but. I can see why. I yeah. mean, if like you look solid at solid principles, it's kind of the same right. thing. Yeah, solid and uh, mm -hmm. the don't repeat yourself. Well, don't yeah. repeat. Well, that's a simple fact. Yeah. Reuse it. But sometimes I think we go too far in the name of reuse. Yeah. So and we we create our complicated rules just to enforce those simple ones. Like, you know, I heard a lot of people, you know, for the dry principle is like, well, if you if you're going to use it three times, that's when you need to do that. You know, like it is. Right. Well, that, I, keep it simpler than that. As a little preview from you know the upcoming talk, one of the biggest issues was a 12-line JavaScript package that broke the internet. Yep. Left, left pad. pad. Yep. <laughs> Everybody. Did you really need the uh, dependency on that? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, you know, I, I know what some of the stuff that you're working on is some you know enterprise. Uh, software that's been around for you know dozens of years, right. and a lot of that just builds cruft over time. Like when when we're in that situation, when we're you know, it's not, maybe not even something we've written, we've inherited. How do, how do we go about keeping that simple? I think what we had started out simple when it was built. Yep. And it, it like you said, it just kept getting added layers and layers. And right now we're trying to find the right time and the right precision to. Start bringing it simple again. Mm -hmm. We're looking at some performance issues we need to do. At that point in time, we can start saying, that pattern we want to keep, that pattern we want to get rid of, that we want to do differently. Mm -hmm. And take what was simple 10 years ago and turn it into what's simple now. Because mm -hmm. 10 years ago, there wasn't any framework or uh, the IOC containers weren't as prevalent yeah. as they are now. Or so. even some of the language features that are available in all the oh. different languages. Yes, I'm sick of loops. No more looping. You select. <laughs> so I'm, I'm picturing your, your session, like everybody walks in and you're like, keep it simple, stupid. And then you, that's it. Is, no, that, is that it? Or do you, no, other it, things it's, to cover? it's a big picture of Gene Simmons. And no, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about that and I'm like, nah. Yeah. So what clever things obvious. do you have in, your, in there? So I've got in there um, 
I've got some buzzword bingo stuff in there, and okay. I, I, we've got some acronyms. And what I'm looking to get across is kind of talk through different things that I see where we overcomplicate things. Mm -hmm. um, at a high level, database is a big one. Yep. Uh, microservices are all the hot rage right now. <laughs> um, talk about some of those things, and maybe we don't need them. Maybe we can keep them simpler. Mm -hmm. And I move into some patterns and other acronyms, tools, left pad mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. And then towards the end, I want to talk about things I've seen in code bases that seem simple, but they maybe aren't. Uh, a big example is the service class. We can't put anything in a controller anymore. So we took everything that used to be in a control or used to be in a code behind for web form. <laughs> yep. Then we moved it to a controller and now we moved it to a service and it's just coordinating. So we inject email service and database service and repositories and unit of works. And then we still have this giant function that I don't know if it's simple or not. I yeah. can't test it. I can't do it unless I start adding <laughs> or it's more complexity. Or it's like manager. <laughs> yeah. Manager, factory, yeah. service. Yeah. And so uh, talk through some of those things and some of the the scheduled jobs that we run at night, how we overcomplicate them. Mm -hmm. They have one simple job to do, but we inflate it with all these other mm -hmm. patterns. If it needs a database, just use it. Don't jump through 10 hoops to get to it. Okay, so it sounds like step one is like realizing that you have a problem, and then step two. Don't give away the ending. Oh. <laughs> did, I, did I sort of predict some yeah, of this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Nostradamus over here. <laughs> well, we're not publishing till after the session. Well, so then we're all good. Yeah. yeah. At, at the very end, it's all this shows that we we're never focused or we tend to not focus on the problem at hand. We focus on the technology. Yeah. I want to use Azure. I want to use React. I want to use Angular. I want to use repository, dependency injection, functional, DDD, mm -hmm. on and on and on. We stop looking at what are we actually writing software to do. Yeah. So that's the ending. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so, so realizing you have a problem. Yeah. Yeah, hit pause on the publish button until yeah. after Wednesday. Yeah. So realize that you have a problem and then, you know, stop chasing those things. And then, you know, like what are the other major themes? Because I, I think Carl kind of brought up the next one is like, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm usually inheriting this this pile of non-kiss. What, what is the opposite of kiss? <laughs> I don't know. Ooh, I mean, we need to come up with that yeah. before your session. Yeah. Complicated big, idiot or something. But it has to be a word. Yeah. The, the closest I could. <laughs> come up with is the big ball of mud yeah yeah and and if you do have that you just slowly you, you can't do it all at once yeah because companies aren't gonna let you say yep i need a year and a half to rewrite that thing right that, that's not gonna happen. that's not business value no right? so you, you start slowly and do what you can where you can so yeah because ideally right like you you um you're always trying to d deliver that business value so you're gonna you're gonna untangle the the ball of mud or whatever you call untangling a ball of mud <laughs> yeah, I, I don't smash. You're gonna smash the the you're ball of dry it out and then smash it, maybe. Yeah, you're gonna smash the the ball of mud. But ideally, like the business isn't gonna see it. They're just gonna see an increase in in productivity over time. Right. So and okay. One of the other things that I'm I'm focusing on and I'm trying not to delve too much in there in my talk is um, I live in Knoxville now, so there's a there's a growing number of functional programmers out there, and so I've taken yep. an interest in that. So one of the things I'm learning from that is. They focus on small functions that do one thing, take data in, take data out, easy to test. So to unravel stuff, take your business mm -hmm. and turn it into a true testable function and put all the other cruft around it in some sort of coordinating class. And okay. I think that'll help because I can write to a database. I know I can write to a database. Why am I messing? Let's put that over here and we'll worry about the piece that says... I created the correct thing to put in the database. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. So in your in your talks, then I mean, you mix in some some comedy or like what's your what's your style? <laughs> I haven't seen one of your presentations. No, I, I did a message Q one a few years ago. Um, it was the first one I've done at a bigger show, and I was really nervous, speaking really quickly. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna be done in 20 minutes. I'm gonna get, <laughs> and then somebody asked a question, and from there it just fell into place and the next thing i know is like i gotta hurry up i'm almost done yeah exactly uh, i try mixing a few jokes i've got a couple early on i don't i don't like i like demos i typically don't use coding demos or if i do they're already done and they're things i can run people don't want to watch me type i can't yeah. spell to begin with they don't want to watch me type <laughs> yeah um and 
so I, if I do anything, I'll have screenshots or things like that so I can go through the PowerPoint. I don't have to mess around with duplicate, unduplicate, reduplicate. So I try and bring some humor. I like talking about con concepts more than this is how you build a React application. This is how you build an ink. Mm -hmm. I, I like more. You can talks. go on YouTube for that. Yeah, I like things yeah. that make people think. Something like Kiss makes people think. In the yeah. past, it was on solving business problems using messaging patterns. And mm -hmm. so I kind of like that type of talk. Okay. Anything else you want to mention? Anything you want to plug? No, I don't have anything to plug. Anything that, else top of mind? Come back to that conference. Yeah. Come, Ho come and hopefully, see us. Hopefully, they, hopefully everybody saw your session. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully. It's Wednesday after the water park party, though. So, ooh. Ooh. Oh, geez. What time, what, so what time is it at? Uh, 10.30 on Wednesday. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so where can people find you online, though? Uh, the best place is Twitter, at okay. Alzoutki. Um, we'll have a link in the show notes. We'll have a link in the show notes. I've got a GitHub repo out there. Uh, Zoutki is the name of the repository. There's okay. not a whole lot out there. And I've got a defunct website slash blog that I'm hoping to get up and running. And that's <laughs> Zoutki.com as well. Okay, that sounds great. Thank right. you so much for well, coming Well, thank on. you. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. Thanks, Carl. Yep. Good to see you guys.